enough four years since I was with you. I appreciate your hospitality of, uh, of making the temperature right to receive me, uh, you know, down to Chiapas type of weather. <clears throat> I know that's a sacrifice for you. Uh, down where we are, our, we have a hard time getting people out of their homes, getting people to church, getting people to do anything. If the weather got down to that extremely cold uh, level of 60 degrees, uh, that, that would be, uh, we, it just never gets down below that. Normally, it's, this is just about right. So I appreciate that. I know you did that special, didn't you? Uh, yeah. uh, it's an honor to be back with you, to see you again. It's an honor to be with uh, Dr. Rasmussen. And uh, I, I feel a little out of place preaching when he's here and he could be preaching. But I'm going to be preaching in Spanish, and he couldn't do that. So uh, that's uh, <clears throat> that's <laughs> uh, no. Before we go any farther, I, w- I would just like to I would just like to say thank you. I, I appreciate you so much. I think as I as we get older, and we, we were talking about age, and it turns out that your pastor's well, he's quite a bit older than us. So <clears throat> he doesn't look that much, but. We looked in his Bible, and those books of the Old Testament are autographed, so it's, you know, that said something about it. You know. uh, no, I, uh, when I first went out as a missionary, I was the youngest missionary I had ever been a, a, approved by our fellowship, and uh, I was only 22 years old. And every single church that we visited, without exception, almost the first thing they would ask us when they would see my wife and I was, how old are you? <laughs> We looked like teenagers, I guess. Literally, there were two churches that when we got to the door, they looked at us and they said, oh, here are the missionary kids. Where are your parents? I, <laughs> it was that bad. Of course, that was uh, 29 years ago. And uh, now this year, I just became a grandpa. So, uh, you know, that's a different story of life. But as the years have gone by, I, I just think my heart has grown in appreciation more and more for those of you who have supported us through these years and prayed for us. Because I know that, you know, you don't have the motivation of getting to see those souls, getting to meet those people, shake their hands, hug them, see them in that change of their life. You don't get to see the foundations laid for the church buildings, and yet you give, and you sacrifice, and you give by faith, and you pray year by year. And and, uh, you do that because you know it's right. You, knew that, you do that because God's commanded it, because God has given us promises, and you trust God, and, and I appreciate that. And uh, in the course of the message, when I mention things about the work there, I always want you to realize that that's as much your work as it is ours. Uh, you're responsible for us being there, and we, and we do appreciate that. God called me to be a missionary up here in Northern California at a youth camp when I was just 10 years old. I didn't know anything about Mexico. Mexicans, and you probably didn't either know about Chiapas, where we lived for 27 years now. But God knew those people, God loves those people, and uh, gave us the privilege, honor of being called to, to serve them, and together with you, who have sent us out to the mission field, we've been able to see the Lord's work done there, and I, and I just want to appreciate that. Uh, we'll let you know that I appreciate that uh, with all my heart. Oh, let's open our Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, first of all, this evening. Now, this is wonderful that you're in revival. And normally, I'm 
uh, reporting on the work in Mexico, but you're thinking about the work uh, here in Ronit Park and in the regions around and, and even into the uttermost parts of the earth, and that's the way it ought to be. And you realize the uh, heart of the Lord, the desire of the Lord for soul winning, the, the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ came, and so you're in a, a revival because sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Sometimes we need to refocus our attention. Sometimes we need to regroup the troops and, and uh, make some plans and, because we know we've got to go forward with what the Lord has called us to do. Now, we live in some changing times. Back uh, years ago, I think last time I was with you, it was still going on, the war down in, in, uh, in Chiapas. And when the war broke out, down there with the Zapatista army, there was a lot of uncertainty. Now, I was never in any of the actual battles or any shooting going on. People were worried about us, concerned about uh, what danger we might be in, and I was never... There were, there were places that we couldn't go. There were helicopters overhead, and we would get checked uh, by military going in and out of the city anytime. Uh, uh, but never any... Well, I take that back. There was one dangerous day. That was the day I took... Uh, my daughter Christina for her driver's test. That, that, was, um, <clears throat> that was a doozy. Uh, don't tell her I said that. My daughter Christina is a registrar at, at the school where, uh, in Lancaster, at, uh, Lancaster Baptist. And uh, I have a son also, Benjamin, who's a, a student there. So I love, love that church, love the college there. And, uh, but on the other hand, those were some uncertain times because we didn't know. We didn't know how far that war was going to uh, extend. There was a lot of fear, a lot of hysteria in the town that I lived in. Uncertainty. What's, what's it going to come to? And you live in some pretty uncertain times. When you're thinking about the work of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, the work of the ministry of your church, you're living in some times uh, that, that are different. You watched and saw those towers that were attacked in our country and watched before your eyes and saw thousands of souls perished before eyes. And that, that was, uh, there's no describing the feeling of that, watching such a thing. You heard about him, even seen these people that would take a reporter and cut his head off on video, trying to terrorize other people. We live in a time, a changing time in our own country. We have young people, kids in schools, going in and murdering other kids in schools, teachers. And uh, perversion that wouldn't have even been mentioned or talked about before. Not only is it talked about, even accepted, it's promoted, and now they're trying to make it a law that you've got to teach it in your schools. People got to know about that. Now, there was a time when that was looked at as a threat. Now you know who's a threat. You're the threat. Now you're the ones that are, look, you who believe the Bible... You who stand on the word of God and, and believe God, you're, you're the ones that are the threat to society now. Some changing times. Oh. We wonder sometimes what it'll all come to. But I think sometimes we get the idea, wow, the world's just getting worse and worse and getting terrible. What, what's, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to do the same thing people have always done because let me tell you a secret. You can look way back in the Bible way back in history of this world, and you'll find that there have always been uh, depraved people in this world. 
that we are in a fallen world. I mean, how far do we have to go back? You talk about perversion. How long ago was it that God rained judgment down on Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, perversion was going on way back when. That's nothing new. You talk about torture and, and these horrors. What, what could be worse than seeing our Lord Jesus Christ beaten and, and scourged beyond recognition and then cruelly crucified there? And there wasn't any worry about what's politically correct back then. Kind of torture did he have to endure even in that time? You think about, you know, you, you can read back in, in times of the Old Testament, you think about the things that are going on today, and uh, you read way in history how the Syrians would rip women with child with children open, dash their children against the stones. I mean, we live in a world that is a fallen world. And even here in Ezekiel chapter 22, uh, verse 23, it talks about the Lord's own nation of Israel, and says, verse 23, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths and I am profaned among them. Now he's talking about the prophets and the priests of Israel. We, we uh, shudder when we hear a denomination struggling with the decision to ordain homosexuals to minister the word of God. Now, how could such a thing be? We look way, way back then, and even in God's own land, people had gotten so far from God that they could not discern between good and evil, between the holy and the profane. Their political leaders, verse 27 says, their princes in the midst thereof are like wolves, ravening the prey to shed blood, to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. You know, we, it's discouraging sometimes listening to the news and hearing politicians who just, you know, the only thing they're concerned about is how well they can use words to twist the truth, to twist circumstances. Or we, we, it's so obvious. It's an insult to your intelligence because you can just see how obvious it is. All they're concerned is their own self and their own power, their own personal uh, well-being or, or, or what they want. And yet we look way, way back there and we see that there, it was that way back then. The people weren't innocent. Verse 29 says, The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. You see, we have always lived in a fallen world. Sin entered in this world, and death by sin, and, and, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We've got to understand that there may be some cycles of life for these things, but we have always lived in this depraved, fallen world, and yet this is the world that God so loved that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
This is the world that moved his heart. This is the, the world that he looked out and saw in the time of, of, uh, that, that he lived was no pleasant time either. When you talk, we mentioned him in, in his own crucifixion and the, the, uh, Stephen being stoned and uh, James have been beheaded. Uh, you know, that was, wasn't a, a, just a nice pleasant time to live. And yet that is the time when you look in Matthew chapter 9 verse 36 that he says he looked out on the multitudes and he was moved with compassion on them. When we think about this world, it's not what this world's coming to. It's the way God looks at this world that we need to be concerned about. I went to Mexico when I was still single. I was just fresh out of Bible college, and I wanted to come back here to Mexico and work with uh, Spanish-speaking people. So I figured the best place to learn Spanish would be go right straight to Mexico. I wasn't a missionary yet. They made an exception for me in the missionary language school, and so... I went down to Mexico to, to learn the language back in 1975. And the uh, first vacation time was Independence Day in Mexico, September 15th, 16th. So uh, another young uh, single pastor and I traveled 100 miles up to Mexico City. And uh, he stayed at the church there. And I, I was adventurous, so I bought me some subway tickets. I wanted to see the parade. And I got on the subway. And uh, in one of those subway cars... Uh, about 20 guys came rushing in the door, and they're pushing and shoving everywhere. I was getting shoved against the wall and pushed. They're waiting. I'm thinking, boy, how rude can these people get, you know? And, uh, and then when I got to my station, I walked up the stairs, and I was in downtown Plaza, what they call the Socalo of Mexico City. And something didn't feel right. And I started feeling around, and they had stolen everything I had. They had picked my pockets, and I didn't have support. The money I had was, was what I had. And got my, my money and my identification visa, all of that. Oh, have you ever felt that kind of despair? When, you, when you're in a situation like that, you just feel, oh, no. And I got to confess, I got angry. I mean, that old anger just was rising to me. I was thinking bad thoughts. I mean, I had visions of grabbing one of those guys and throwing him in front of that subway car. That's what I want to do, you know. And I'm in this turmoil of emotion when it, when it was one of those times that God just spoke to my heart. He said, no, Dan. That's exactly why I've called you here. Because these people are lost in sin. That's why I sent my son to die for them. That's why you're here. Preach the gospel to them. They might be saved. You know, when you look at the world, and you look at people the way God sees them, everything changes. First thing we've got to do when we think about reaching this world, we've got to see them the way God sees them. Uh, all of a sudden, instead of that anger, I, I understood. Jesus died for those men. They are in darkness. They don't know what they've done. Jesus, even while he was hanging, nailed on the cross, called out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you know that despair that I felt all of a sudden? It, it was just amazing. That, that just changed, and I felt like I was, could just float. I felt free as I had never felt free before. I understood the truth. I realized the devil could take me anywhere in the world, any nation, anywhere, could do whatever he wanted, put me in any circumstance, and yet I could smile. I didn't have anything to fear because I was in God's hands. Isn't it wonderful 
the freedom that we enjoy. And why is that? Because simply we know how it's all going to come out. We know how it's going to end. We're free to, to live this life without anxieties, without fears, without intimidation. doesn't matter what the devil can bring about in this world, in this day and age, or what we might face around in our community or in the world. We don't have anything to fear because we already know how it's all going to come out. Our names are written in heaven. We have the promise of glory. We're going to be in heaven forever. We're joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what you could gain or lose in this world... How insignificant can it be to someone who's a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you ever maybe seen a football game where there's 10 minutes left and the score is 42 to 3? Everybody knows what's going to happen. If the cameras show the the, uh, stadium, people are already leaving because they want to get out of a traffic jam. They're not worried about what's going to happen. They already know what's going to happen. The team's on the field. They're putting in their second, third string people just to give them some practice because they're really not concerned with what happens in that play. They already know what it's going to, what's going to end. I think sometimes that's, that's the way we can enjoy the life that the Lord has given us because we know it doesn't matter what the devil can bring in front of us. We already know where we're going. We already know how it's going to turn out. But in the meantime, God wants us to see this world the way he sees it. One of my first trips down to Mexico, I'll never forget this, I was 19 years old, I went down in the summertime during Bible college years to get some experience. Uh, I have a son right now that's over in India doing that. He uh, feels called to be a missionary to India and was able to go there for this month of June. And I went down with Bill Harvey in, in uh, Ciudad Mante, Tamaulipas, and was there for a month. Our first week down there, we built a little bitty block building, seat about 100 people. Amazing situation. 400 people. That, that town never had a church. 400 people came to the dedication service, and when the man preached, there were 100 people that walked the aisles. And that, that's not the norm, even in Mexico. That was amazing, amazing, wonderful experience. But I began to go to that... Uh, little church with the Bible college students. I didn't speak Spanish hardly yet, but uh, I would go and just be with them and learn. And and one night I was standing uh, in this little rectangular building. I was standing outside a door on this side. Most people were standing outside the doors and windows because there was enough room inside for everybody. And the preacher was preaching again. And this little boy, about five years old, came running down the aisle in the middle slapping the chairs and the people on the chairs and comes down, kicks the pulpit, takes off running out the door where I was standing. And I'm thinking, oh, these kids, aren't they, you know? And he ran around the back and he came running up again, slapping the chairs and slapping the people and everybody's just looking in. I'm thinking, boy, these people need to hear this message and his kids making havoc and nobody's going to hear anything. He took off running. I tried to scare him away. I made an ugly face at him. You know? Didn't phase him a bit. He turned around and ran right back, kicked the pulpit again. Took off running out the door, and he, and he just got out the door and tripped and fell, and, and I didn't do it. But, <clears throat> but he fell down in, on the ground there and skinned up his knee, and he was, he was laying there crying. And so I reached down, this little boy, and I, I picked him up, and I kind of held him away because I'm afraid he's going to punch me in the nose. And that little boy did something that I'll never forget. 
because as I lifted him up, he turned and he threw his arms around my neck and he held me as tight as he could. He wouldn't let go. I just stood there realizing I didn't see something in that little boy. The little boy was starving for love. There's so many times we want to look out on this world and we want to say who's going to listen and who's not going to listen and where we can go and what country we can send the gospel to and what we can't. We need to let God be in the business of determining you know, what can and what can't be done. And we need to just preach the gospel to every creature because there are so many times when we don't know what God's dealing, doing in somebody's heart. We have a man in our church... His name is Ángel Albino Corso. And if any of you speak Spanish, you know that Ángel Albino means white angel. And if there was ever a mother that misnamed her kid, that was her. <laughs> because he was anything but a white angel. I mean, unless she took that verse where the devil appears as an angel of light. Maybe that was where she got it. I don't know. But that guy was just known as being the most wicked man on earth. Very famous name. His name is uh, the name of our main road through town. They, they have bridges named by that name because his grandfather was one of the most famous politicians in the history of our state. And so everybody knows that name. They just built a new international airport outside of our town and named it Angel Albino Corso Airport. And, uh, and Angel told me one day his story, his story of his life and, and the wickedness that he lived, the violent, immoral life that he lived. Packed pistols where it's illegal, but nobody was going to bother him about it, you know, tell him that. And he says, one day a man came to him and looked at him just compassionately. He said, Ankil, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, he got mad and he said, don't tell me about God. You want to see God? You're looking at him. I'm God. I have the power right now to give you your life or take your life. He said that man wasn't intimidated. There was something different about that man. He just looked at him again and he said, Uncle, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it just made him so furious, so mad. Somebody dared to do that, but yeah. The Uncle hadn't come face to face with the God who was able to bring Nebuchadnezzar to his knees. Angel still hadn't, hadn't uh, understood the power of God who was able to bring that, that persecutor, Saul of Tarsus, to his knees. And, and uh, there was a time when God let his life crumble and let everything around him come tumbling down on him. And he was drunk one time. He knew he was facing death. And all of a sudden, God brought his life before him and he saw that his life was worthless, useless, nothing, totally vain. Angel saw that the only thing waiting for him was condemnation. And Angel remembered the story that man told him of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to save him. And Angel then, that man that people thought could never be touched, Angel cried to God to save him. Cried to God and put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Angel is one of our mission teams in our main church in Tuxla Gutierrez. We have laymen just like you who are divided up in mission teams. We have 15 different teams, and they share going and preaching in different towns and villages where we want to start new churches. 
And uh, one team will go for a month. Every Sunday they'll get up early and they'll drive to this other town anywhere from an hour to three hours away. And they'll go door knocking and they'll visit people. They'll win souls. They'll have services. And then they'll come back uh, Sunday afternoon or Sunday night. And then the next month another team will go. And uh, now Anke Albino Corso is going out and preaching the gospel. My wife and I were... Uh, visiting in the home of a woman whose husband had visited our church. This was about four months ago. And while we were witnessing to this lady, a man, a friend of their family, walked in and sat on the couch in, in uh, front of us, and uh, we greeted him, got to know him, and uh, asked him where he was from, and he's from Via Flores. Well, Via Flores is the hometown of Anke del Bino Corso. And I, and I said that. I said, oh, we got a man in our town from, from our, in our church, from your hometown. Uh, his name is Anke Albino Corso. You should have saw that guy's eyes get big. <laughs> he looks at me, pauses, you know, like to say, that's bad. <laughs> you don't want to know that guy. That's the way people saw him, but I had the privilege of telling that man, the Lord Jesus Christ has come to Angel's life. I wish you'd come to church and see what God's done with this man. And I wish you'd come and see what God could do with your life what God could do with your family. See, God's word has not left its power. In all of these times, in all of history, when there have been terrible, perilous times and, and, uh, and uh, just uh, circumstances beyond comprehension, God's power has always been greater and God's power is greater today. Always will. I didn't, you know, I told you I was called to be a missionary when I was 10 years old and approved when I was 22. By the time I was 23 years old, I was on the field. Now, I didn't know that my first year down in Tuxla, that I was one year in central Mexico, started my first church there. And uh, then after that, my wife had learned the language so we could go on down to where we're out in southern Mexico, down close to Guatemala. And... Uh, I didn't know that first year. I wouldn't get a, get a whole lot of work done because I was sick most of the time. I got all those tropical diseases, not, you know, not counting the dysentery with the amoebas and parasites, but the dengue fever that killed 200 people in town, and I caught it, and then I just started to get over it, and I caught it again, found out you don't get an immunity to that, and I just barely get over it. I was down to 120 pounds, looked like a walking skeleton, well, a laying skeleton, couldn't hardly get out of bed, and I got typhoid fever. I started losing my eyesight. And all this time, above all, I'm just thinking, Lord, why, why, you know, what did I get called down here for just to lay in bed? And uh, got a letter from a supporting pastor. Of course, back there was only snail mail, you know, so that was exciting to get a letter and opened up that letter, and it said, Dear Brother Morris, we don't appreciate your ministry at all. So our missionary over in Korea won more souls last month than you've won all year, so we're cutting you off. <laughs> well, that was encouraging. <laughs> I, I can laugh about that. Now, I wasn't laughing that day, let me tell you. I didn't know those things, the things that I would have to face. I didn't know there was going to be a volcano erupt 25 miles from our house and, and dump this filthy ash over the whole state or that, you know... Uh, or we'd have that guerrilla war break out, or I would be driving in the rugged mountains there and hit an oil slick and roll off the mountains, roll for 150 
feet down the mountain, just miraculously escaped these things. I didn't know that a man that I counted on as my friend and co-laborer would turn out to be a, a man who could commit any kind of deviousness possible to destroy and lost seven years of our, uh, everything we'd done for that first seven years had to pick up and start all over again because of the, the d- depth of the depravity, corruption. I didn't know those kind of things. But let me tell you something. I look back, I remember one day, in fact, when I had been preaching for, for two years in that city of Tuxla Gutierrez. I'd been knocking doors. I'd won people to the Lord. I'd have some, some good groups sometimes preaching to these people. We'd built a little bitty building to start out. We went to church. We'd been there two years, my family and I. Well, ones that we had by then. And uh, waiting for the people to show up, and we just waited. And that's all we did that day because not one single person showed up. Nobody. Boy, I thought, Lord... Are we back to zero? Have I been here for two years preaching and door knocking and working and I can have a service where there's not one single person that comes? There's so many times when we can, you know, kind of second guess the Lord. But let me tell you, the Lord's faithful. The Lord told us not to be weary in well-doing because there is some weariness. You come out soul winning tomorrow. Some of you may be a little shaky about that, maybe a little worried about that. You don't know what you're going to face. Let me tell you something. You're in for one of the most wonderful experiences that you could ever have. Not, I'm not talking about the circumstances. You may have a door slammed in your face. You may have somebody that doesn't like you at all. But you're going to be going in the power of God's Spirit. You're going to be doing just exactly what God wants you to do. And you're going to be sowing some seed that you have no idea what will come. That day I was so discouraged I had no idea that today I could stand before you and now tell you that there are 22 churches in Mexico that we've seen established. That we now have meetings in the city auditorium, sometimes inviting some of the missions together. have had over 1,000 people in those meetings where we can preach the gospel. One of them, 80 people were saved in one of those meetings. Seeing people saved and seeing church established, training pastors and watching them, lives transformed, like Angel Albino Corso. We need to love the Lord with all of our heart and trust him and enjoy the freedom that God has given us. God has called us to preach the gospel to every creature. Now let's go out and do it. The devil's going to send discouragement and the devil's going to send intimidation and the devil's going to send everything and we don't have a thing to fear. We already, death itself is not a threat to us because God is with us. Let's bow our heads and let's dedicate ourselves again. Let's renew our vision Let's think about the compassion that the Lord Jesus Christ has. There's people right around here within a short distance of us tonight. People that may have a shell up front, but God knows what's in their hearts. And God has a work that he wants to do. He wants to do it through you. And I'd like to invite you tonight, as you search your soul, search your heart, and maybe someone here that's not saved even tonight, 
And I'd like to in, invite you, if maybe you're here tonight, you realize I've never received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't know where I would go if I were to die today. If my life were to come to an end, I don't know if I would be in heaven or hell. And if you don't know that, then you're in... The Lord admonishes you that there's a condemnation. There's a horror of condemnation for those who are separated from God through, by sin. But God also tells you that he sent his son for you to die in your place, to take your penalty of death for your sin and give you life. Give you a free and complete and full salvation if you'll turn to him and trust him as your savior. And I'd like to invite you tonight, make this the night that you say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. You Christians who who know what the Lord has called us to do as churches, starting out in this time of of, uh, revival, in this time of, of directing our attention, directing our thoughts to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the, world, the, the work that he's called us to do, I'd like to invite you to pray and offer yourself to him and ask him for his power and, and encourage yourself in the Lord. I'd like to ask you to, to step out when we have an invitation and come and kneel before him tonight. Pour your heart out to him. Ask him for his power and his wisdom and his direction. Take away the fears and intimidation. Let you walk like he walked. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you, first of all, for the salvation that we enjoy. We thank you that we can stand and, and we can sit and we can hear your word, preach your word and know that one of these days we'll be with you. And yet there's people right here close to us that don't know. And there's some people that you know that would hear the gospel and open their hearts to Christ. Father, I pray that you'll encourage the hearts of each one of the members tonight, that you would strengthen their souls and give them that, that sense of joy and freedom that you have given to all those that you have redeemed by the blood of your Son. I'd like to ask you to stand to your feet before we finish praying. As you stand to your feet very solemnly and continue praying, just before I finish praying, I would like to ask, if, if there anyone here tonight, while you continue praying, if there anyone here tonight that say, Brother Morris, I'm not sure that I'm saved. No, this is a revival meeting and I've come, but I'm, I can't really look back and see the day that I was born again, the day that I passed from from death to life, I really don't know. And I would like to settle that tonight. I would like to know for sure. Would you just slip up your hand? I don't want anybody to feel pressured and intimidated, but I want you to understand how God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you so that tonight you could have that peace with God and be saved from your sin. Would there be anyone here tonight? I wouldn't want to. Wouldn't want to go on without asking that first. Is there anyone here tonight? You can slip up your hand and say, I don't know for sure that I'm saved. I saw a hand a young man raised. God bless you. Appreciate that. Sincerity. Remember when I was very young and God touched my heart and I was saved. Very, very young age. There may be others. Is there anyone else? You'd raise your hand and say, I'm not sure that I'm saved. But I, I know now that Jesus died and paid all of the sin 
And that if I trust in him as my Savior, that he'll come to my heart and save me. Is there anyone else? You'd slip up your hand. Anyone else here tonight? Are there some that say, Brother Morris, sometimes I do get discouraged. Or sometimes I do get intimidated by the task that the Lord has given us. And yet I know that there's people that don't know. There's people that could perish. And I want my life to count for the Lord, and I want to be faithful to him. And, and I, want to, I want to show him that I love him. And you say, Brother Morris, pray for me, because I really want, I really want the Lord to have his way in my life. I want my life to be able to, to be a light to other people, that they might come to know Jesus Christ too. If you feel that deep in your heart and that's a yearning in your soul, would you slip up your hand so I could pray for you? God bless you. I appreciate that. So many, so many. Our Father, you've seen the hands that are raised tonight, this hand of the young man who knows that he needs to be saved. And I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit now would make that so clear. Bring him tonight. Give him that joy of knowing and having the peace that he has the salvation that Jesus, your son, came to give him. Father, I pray for these that have raised their hands and have that yearning in their heart. That's why they're here tonight. I pray that you'll strengthen them during this invitation time. There would be a blessing to them as they encourage themselves in, in your spirit, in your power. We ask this, Lord, for your sake, for your glory, for your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.